Hello and welcome to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. I'm your host, Brittany Mitchell, and I'll be leading the team again. Uh, like usual, we have Christy Doran on deck, who I guess you could say a Back to the Future reference, uh, rugby's own Dr. Brown. So thank you, Christy, for coming along again. And then as a special guest, we have former Brumbies player Lockie McCaffrey. Thank you so much for joining us, and he'll be joining us over the next few weeks. No, thanks, guys. Hopefully um, I do a, as good a job as, as Sam while he's away, and congrats to Sam on, on his new bubs. Um, and, yeah, excited to chat all things footy at the moment. Hey, Lockie, yeah, good to, good to have you here. Good to see your face, your melon again. Mate, you're doing great things as well. You're coaching. Where, where are you coaching at the moment? Um, mate, luckily I've got the first grade head coach role at Gingarland Eagles in the in the John O'Dent Cup. So um, we had round one on the weekend, lots of um, work to do. But, yeah, mate, good start. Shout out to you. That's great. Uh, another former player doing wonders there. And, um, you know, guys like he and, you know, Lockie and, and, and Steve Hoyles at Randwick as well. Good to see some of those guys from the cohorts not too gone that are in the coaching scene because we need as many coaches in Australian rugby as, as we can. Britt, how are you? How's the how's the weekend? Uh, well, uh, work as usual, but I actually got out myself to a, a TENS tournament yesterday and I'm feeling a bit battered and bruised. Who knows? I've managed to keep my fingers just intact and my ankles and my knees are still working, the shoulder not so much, a few bumps, a few bruises, a bruised ego, but we get we get there, we get through <laughs> it all and then treated, capped us all off with uh, Super W yesterday afternoon, which uh, I hope a few people tuned in for the Tars-Reds game because it was it's an absolute cracker right down to the wire. Tars only held on by one point in the end, uh, thanks to uh, the Reds just unable to get the conversion from the sideline in the end. So big weekend, big weekend all around. And uh, I guess uh, there was plenty going on in, in Super Rugby, which we will touch on. But I guess the talk of the town this week is, of course, the Wallabies camp and the boys heading up to the Gold Coast the first time they'll be on deck with Eddie Jones. Lockie, as a player, if you were to be called into that Wallaby squad, how would you be feeling heading into your first camp under Eddie Jones? There's plenty of stories about him. I guess there's a, a fair amount of nerves. Yeah, good question, Britt, um, because I never was called up to, to a Wallaby squad, so I don't know the feeling. But um, I, th I think uh, with, with the amount of change over the last few months in that space, um, I think guys will be really excited uh, this close to a World Cup just to be in the the frame of selection um, is really exciting. You know, like you can play for the Wallabies, but at the same time playing for the Wallabies um, at a World Cup is something that I guess as an individual playing rugby, you would, you would never forget. Um, you know, there's a lot of competition around spots at the moment. And obviously with a new coach and new coaching structure, you know, things change pr pretty quickly in terms of preference for, for players. So, um, you know, I, I guess it helps if you're playing good footy at the moment. It also helps if you're playing in a team that's winning. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, slowly we'll start to see what type of um, 23 and, and, you know, squad Eddie will take over to France. Mm, definitely. And I, I guess we've got to touch on the fact that seven players were ruled out of that camp, five of which were through concussion over the weekend. And that included Ned Hannigan, Lenny Kitao, Dave Parecki, uh, Darcy Swain and, and Blake Shoup all ruled out through concussion over two days of, of rugby. And then uh, 
Pete Samu and Langy Gleeson also through injury. And then uh, seven calls up with Lockie Swinton, Isaiah Parise, Matt Faisler, Harry Wilson, Reese Van Neck and, and Rory Scott, Ryan Smith all called up. What are your thoughts on, on the on the guys who've uh, been called up? Christy, I guess Lockie Swinton, one who will uh, a lot of people will be keeping their eyes on. But Harry Wilson, unlucky to miss out first time around. Isaiah Parisi really put on a show on Saturday night, I guess, as a return to form, really. And I guess it was um, just at the right time, Eddie Jones in the crowd. And was that what brought it over the line to get him on the plane uh, this morning? Yeah, I'm not sure if it was necessarily that that performance alone. He was pretty good against the Brumby. He started to find his feet, but a dramatic couple of hours for Lockie Swinton. He was probably feeling maybe a bit fortunate not to have um, uh, brought the, the team into the match in the early stages of their victory against the Force on Saturday night. But you, you, you're, it's a dramatic hour and a half or so when you're sighted and you could be sending a couple of weeks on the sidelines, perhaps at least, given that he's got some prior history, but then you're also caught up, uh, given a bit of a reprieve after a slow first month after coming back from a, a year-long injury for Lockie. So, look, dramatic, um, fair enough, and it's fair, fair place to see Harry Wilson. He's been, once again, one of the Reds' most consistent players the last couple of weeks, Um Matty Faisler as well uh, has been has been quality. He was really good against um, Moana Pacifica. And then someone like a, a Reese Van Neck and a, a Rory Scott, those two guys in particular were really impressive um, over the last seven weeks. But against the Blues, if, you, if you're judging form, and that's what Eddie Jones is saying that he's doing, judging form against New Zealand opposition, those two guys were outstanding against the Blues back in round two in Melbourne. I think Van Neck came on pretty early because Alan Alatel, I think, was concussed from memory. And, and Rory Scott was just so good around the ball, the breakdown defensively. So I, I, great great to see those guys get rewarded. But first day of training camp, uh, we got to speak to a few of those guys, or a couple of them with Josh Fluke and, and Ryan Lonigan speaking to the media earlier on Monday morning, but hadn't really been able to speak to Eddie got onto the training paddock at that point in time. But it was interesting looking at a couple of photos just start to appear in the afternoon when you've got a group of four guys around Eddie Jones in a little group on the field. You've got Alan Alatoa, James Slipper, Nick White, and I think the fourth, which was cut out, was probably Michael Hooper. It just seems like that's the brain trust. That's the leadership team, and they're the four guys that Eddie will be wanting to find out as much information and see how they interact alongside one another. But it was also interesting to see none of them seem to be wearing Wallaby t- uh, shirts. They're all seemingly wearing shirts or their own kit that they had brought up from their respective states. So I wonder if that's Eddie Jones just going, you know what, you're in a training squad. You're not in a Wallaby squad. You don't deserve that shirt just yet. Maybe a little first mind game. I mean, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Eddie without his mind game. So I, I mean, I completely agree with you there, Christy. You might be just having a little fun, just a reminder that the job's not done yet. They're not. They haven't got their plane ticket yet, and there's still plenty of work to do. Lockie, your thoughts on the potential brains trust that leadership team? Does Slips get the role again? We know that Hoop stepped down after uh, and needed that mental health break last last year. The slips take on the role. Is it Alan Alaratoa? You've got a quite a good relationship with Alan. What are your thoughts there? 
Yeah, then I think, first of all, you could give anyone in that group of four the captaincy badge and they'll do a good job. Um, I think Hoops, Whitey, Slips and Alan, um, they're both uh, not just respected rugby players on and off the field in Australia, but they're respected worldwide in the rugby community. Um, I think, um, you know, for me, for me, Alan, with with the form he's got, obviously, and the the progress um i know i know the world cup is just obviously the focus this year but moving forward into a british and irish lions in in two years um someone like alan would would be the you know first choice i would think in terms of in terms of that captaincy role moving forward leading a leading a new look australian team under eddie jones but more importantly with the support of guys like slips whitey and hoops that um you know i've said previously it's not the captain that that's the most important it's the leadership group around him and the support you've got and you give alan three guys like whitey slips and hoops and you probably couldn't have um better better support network around you as a captain there so you know whatever way eddie goes with um hopefully in that in that group of four i think it's a terrific leadership um group to to lead the wallabies into the world cup year in france hey lucky what 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 makes um our and you've played alongside three of those guys at the Brumbies. What, can you talk to us a little bit about those three in particular? What are some of the strengths of all those three guys? Like we think of Nick White and he's constantly chirpy. You imagine all the other teams uh, get annoyed by him. We certainly the referees get annoyed by him. We know the pedigree of, of slips and the respect that he's held worldwide. Things like the great kind of guy that you always want on your team. And then Alan, who's currently the Brumby skipper and um, seems like he interacts really well with all different cultures from the Polynesian guys to the Caucasian guys. Uh, and that's something that in Australian rugby with the diaspora of, of, of cultures in Australian sport, is pretty important too. Yeah, mate, I think you're spot on. I think first of all, um, I've never been. I've never had the opportunity to play alongside Hoops, but um, from playing against him and knowing knowing him quite well, I think those four guys they're so genuine, and they also lead with their actions. You know, in, instead of just talking talking up a big game, um, they lead with their actions both on and off the field. So, you know, Whitey, every single training session he has, it's like he's playing for the World Cup in a final. You know, um, slips. He's there at five a.m. every single training day, preparing, getting getting his body right for the sessions ahead. Alan, off the field, he'll be led to charge the boys. Um, you know, at a social, and at the same time, he'll be first one there on a Sunday morning on a watt bike, sweating, sweating out the piss, um, leading by example on the training field. So, you know, I, I think as a leader, um, you've you've got to earn respect, and and those four guys have done that over years and years of, you know, leading both on and off the field in their, in their provinces and also internationally. Um, they've just done a terrific job. And, and as I said before, um, that just brings a, a huge amount of respect from the, from the younger guys that have come into that group. Um, and when they, when they talk, you, you listen straight away because you know, it's coming from the right place. Definitely. And I guess uh, heading into the world cup, you got four blokes like that you couldn't ask for a better leadership team, I guess. Uh, there'd be a lot of players in, in a lot of teams in world rugby kind of looking at that group and thinking you've got a pretty strong uh, four blokes there who can lead a team well. But I guess Eddie Jones has said previously that 
you couldn't he may not even just pick one captain he may need to select quite a few and and one of those reasons could just be through injury and, and especially concussion we we have seen over the weekend five concussions and the effect that that has had on this training camp and you look towards the world cup with a, a 12 day mandatory stand down uh, what impact that could have so i guess for you guys what what will that do in a world cup situation when how did do the Wallabies have the depth in key positions uh, in that area? We see these guys have been called up. Do we have the depth? Do Can we survive if, if we uh, get smashed with concussion throughout the tournament? Oh, look, I, I think they do. It, it certainly helped the last two years. With, with, you know, we, we look at Dave Rennie's winning percentage, and yes, it was 38%. Had he had his full score, it probably would have been higher, but they're hypotheticals that we'll always talk about. The reality is, though, that because of all the injuries, guys were given opportunities. So we have seen players step up and and some players more than others. You know, the Jock Campbells probably don't get an opportunity at 15 if guys like Andrew Kellaway and uh, Jordan Pataira fit for the, you know, Reese Hodge are fit for, for the last couple of years. So we've seen that, that at 10, uh, Ben Donaldson gets a couple of cracks last year. You know, Oliseo's had a number of opportunities now, probably 20-odd tests. So, look, I, I think there is enough depth. The blessing that that Eddie Jones probably has is the fact that at the moment, this World Cup protocol regarding eligibility and how many players Eddie can pick from overseas, it's it's far from clear and they're probably leaving it open so that if anything happens, Eddie, no, you don't just have three, you can have five or six to choose from and That'll probably cover the gaps, I reckon, if there is some guys. But you're right in saying that the concussions are going to have a huge impact. And I think more than ever before, uh, given those 12-day stand downs. And you think about what it might do for an Irish side if they lose a Richie, uh, sorry, a a Johnny Sexton. Um, But you also think about how you you might... um, with your your bench configuration and how you you have your squad, like it's such a luxury for New Zealand if they're going to play Bowden Barrett at fifteen to allow him to. If anything happens to Richie Mwanga, then Barrett can slot in there easily at ten, and you can carry an extra centre, a specialist centre, as opposed to an, a specialist ten who might just sit there for eighty minutes just waiting for an opportunity. So, look, I think it's huge. Um, Lucky, you, you've kind of played alongside a lot of the current cohort as well. Do you see enough depth in Australia or do you think you're going to have to pluck a few more than 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 those three that currently is able to? Yeah, mate, as you said, I think the the squad and the depth is is looking in a good good place from the from the previous few years. Um guys getting a shot through through injury um and also within super rugby guys that we didn't really know of 24 months ago coming into their own and, and getting that that getting that experience after a few big pre-seasons in you know at super level. Um you know to me the more people Eddie can pick from overseas um or be able to pick from it doesn't mean he has to pick them but to to have the opportunity to pick them I think advantageous going into a world cup year um we want the best australian players putting on a gold jersey that's what we want we want to win the world cup and and picking the best players australia has gives us the best chance of winning the world cup um it it doesn't mean he has to use them we talk about um having a cohesive team which obviously um, gives gives a green light and 
to to obviously maybe a Brum, you know Brumbies players that are that are playing well together as a team, or you look at different combinations that are playing nine and ten at super level, or or in in a front row at, at super level too. So there's lots of things to to go into it in terms of selection, but. What I'd love is at least the opportunity to be able to the, to be able to pick the best twenty three moving forward into a World Cup. In terms of depth, I think we've got really good depth. My only concern would be if a if a Alan Alatoa and, and a slipper went down, um, you know, for, for the for the majority of a World Cup. I think we've got really good depth across most um, of the of the. Um, 15, especially with guys like I think Ned Hannigan um, and Jed Holloway are, are doing a good job in that that lock department for the Waratahs. But my only concern would be if um, an Allen or a Slipper went down. To me, at, at, at that top international front row level, I'm not sure we've got the depth if, if one of those two go down. Mm, yeah, definitely. And you got the likes of Taniela Tupo, who was you know, uh, on the way back on in the rehab train is, uh, and then Angus Bell as well. They're both looking to be back, but, you know, time will tell if they can get there or not. Still yeah, on the... Great, great players. And we've also got guys coming into the seam like Blake Shop. Um, I think the difference in that prop world, you know, prop international stage is you don't become a world, world you know, one of the best world props in one season, it takes five, six, seven years. You look at Slips now playing some of his best footy and Alan obviously in the prime of his career at 28, 29. So it, no no disrespect to the other props I've got, but it just takes time. And, and, you know, a few months out from the World Cup, we don't have that much time. Mm, definitely. Well, a lot of the chat over the last few days has been the potential for uh, orange cards to make an appearance at the World Cup. Obviously, in Super Rugby Pacific level, there has been the introduction of the uh, TMO referral for dangerous play. Uh, as much as soon as it reaches yellow card threshold, uh, players are taken from the field, and the TMO has eight minutes to determine whether that uh, can be elevated to a red card. Over the last few years, Southern Hemisphere Rugby have been really pushing to push uh, to get these innovations that they've created towards the Northern Hemisphere uh, to nor uh, towards the Northern Hemisphere. There's been a bit of pushback, but there is uh, a, there has been chat that orange cards could make an appearance. Lockie, as a as a player, have you been happy with the TMO referral that those eight minutes? taking uh, away that dead time, I guess, that people were just sitting around waiting for a decision. Are you liking that? And would you like that idea to head to the World Cup? Yeah, I can't see any negative to it, to be honest. Um, you know, as a spectator, all we want to do is increase up, increase the speed of the game, both as a player, but more importantly, as a spectator. That's that's what we, we have to try and do, uh, you know, in terms of the ruling and world rugby we're doing that. We're doing that effectively in Super Rugby Pacific around some of these rule changes, and and at the same time, a TMO is not pressured like a ref would be by the crowd or the occasion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, I think there's only benefits to the the orange card system. Um, it was I was a little bit surprised the other day when when Angus Blythe nearly took Corey Tool's head off into the back of Suncorp Stadium and, and still only got a yellow. But at the same time, it speeds the game on. 
The ref then obviously gets comms from the TMO. They make the right decision. Um, so yeah, I don't see any any negative to it at all. It's good. I look, I think I, I tend to agree. It's you certainly don't want the the drama and the hold up. My, my only fear is that um, one, you, you might have players recklessly going after some. Um, and we might see that a, a big name player like an Anton Dupont who really runs the show for France or um, similarly, it could be, um, uh, you know, Ireland with, with Johnny Sexton that we've already spoken to or Finn Russell, whoever it might be, that sides really go after them knowing that, you know what, we might not get a red card or we might not get the more than 20 minutes or whatever it might be. There, there are a couple of things you've got to be a little bit mindful of. But I also think we're leaving a lot of power to the TMOs. And the TMOs these days are, are, are really in the same way that the on-field referees are having a not so much of a feel of the game. They're, they're reading this through a textbook of a real technical lens about is this a penalty? Is it not a penalty? Does it, does it you know... Um, it, it does it meet a red card threshold and does it necessarily take into things like rugby incidents? We saw Jaco, Jaco Piper the other other month, uh, you know, send off Freddie Stewart. Now, a team O technically probably sends that off, even though it's still probably a rugby incident. And would we see a team O be out there explain that to justify why they've done, done something like that? I'm not sure if we would. We saw on the weekend in the English uh, Premiership game, I think it was, where uh, a team was awarded, a, uh, I think, a, a penalty try for a bloke who was tackled short of the line. Um, and and it just, sometimes it's those dumbfounding decisions, which I don't know if we want to be leaving in the hands of the TMOs. Oh, I appreciate the fact that we want to set, um, make the game quicker. Uh, I think it's just a big, big thing because... There are very few international referees where you go, you know what, he's a world-class referee that you would want officiating your matches. You, know, you can probably count them on your hands, Wayne Barnes being one, um, but, but there's not too many. So there are some of the things that I just wonder whether or not in a big, big decision of a game, whether or not we want someone like who you don't often know who's just going to be basing it on a textbook. Mm. There have been uh, calls over the, the last week or so about, you know, better training of TMOs, better pay, better training, things like that, so that these people in these positions are, you know, people can rely on them and yeah. you expect they're going to make the right decisions. But, uh, Lockie, you touched on that Angus Blythe issue and I feel like you have some strong thoughts on not the TMO decision but the, the, the citing and, and the decision after the fact that he only got three weeks. And as you said, he almost took Corey Tool's head off. Yeah. I um I don't like speaking badly about, about obviously players playing the game still, but I just I have a real problem at this at the moment with probably the soft tribunal process. I think at the moment world rugby uh, are looking at all these rule changes and ways we can change the game to to stop concussions and head knocks and the safety, player welfare, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time as doing that, we give a bloke three weeks for, for putting someone in, in fairyland wobbling over himself. It, it just makes no sense to me. Why don't we just do a, a proper job? We don't have to change the rules around a game and ruin it for 99.9% .9 of the players playing around the world. Let's just get harder 
on cheap shots and blatant, you know, disregard to the rules. That's that's what I find fascinating at the moment with world rugby. We're we're looking at all these crazy rules, but at the same time, we're not going to punish guys for blatant, you know, high tackles, uh, shoulder to the head, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It uh, it was just a horrible look um, as a parent for the way Corey Tool stumbled and got up, and and now he misses time. And we can solve the problem by just being stricter in the tribunal process. Um, you know, Lockie Swinton, for example, again, he's going through the, the tribunal process. I, you know, if his name came, if I was at the tribunal process and I saw his name again, to me, it's just three to six months out of the game when you've seen his name over and over and over again. I, I just, I don't understand. These players are never going to learn if you give them one week, two week, three week ban. They're just going to keep doing it over and over again. Just, Let's not let's not change the fabric of why rugby is such a beautiful sport to play, and let's just get stricter on the zero point one percent of people that don't understand the rules of the game. Yeah. I, I think it's it's a great point, isn't it? It's a great point, and I you don't need to necessarily change the fabric of it. You just need to come down harder, and, and we've seen that on countless occasions. I think it's it, it's it's common sense, isn't it, as well? And, we like to, as rugby people and fans and, you know, those that are reporting on the game, criticise other sports as well. I think it was Pickett from the Melbourne Demons that had a shocking, shocking kind of incident there as well. But um, with, I think it was Bailey Smith from the from the Western Bulldogs, it was a horrendous kind of hit off the ball, but he only got two weeks. You know, similarly, like that, that incident that you're referring to with Corey Tool, that was a similar... A sort of incident and and yeah Angus Blythe might not have really meant to do that but to change to change behavior you do have to come down hard I completely agree it's well said Lockie mm, definitely and and the fact that it, it comes down to mitigating factors of they have a clean record or, or things like that I mean that sounds great but at the end of the day he's there's an ultimate blunder there. He was reckless. He's, he's hit him high and, and Corey Tool's now out for potentially two weeks, well, 12 days stand down and, and uh, who knows what the repercussions are down the path. And, and you touched on Lockie Swinton. I, I did a, a quick Google search and this wasn't a very in-depth one. I'll, I'll let you know, but, you know, he made a, a 2020 Wallabies debut and he was uh, red carded for a, a high tackle against the All Blacks, which resulted in a four-week suspension he was lucky to get away with a, a yellow card in 2021 against the Springboks for a, a shoulder hit on Dwayne Vermeulen. I did a quick look at uh, since he started his professional career and there's only been one season so far where he hasn't uh, received a card of some colour and that was his debut season uh, for the Waratahs. Uh, and as we spoke on earlier, he was probably lucky. Well, he was definitely lucky that no one picked up that uh, late shot on Jake Strawn on in the first minute of that game on Saturday night. If you look at it, if you're an Eddie Jones, if, are you thinking, yeah, he, he can make some uh, hard hits and he and he's a, a, a strong player, but am I willing to risk in that World Cup, you know, final few minutes or semi-final quarter-final game last round last game in the in the pools are you willing to risk uh a card in one of those really important moments 
then, yeah, like, first of all, Angus Blythe and Lockie Swinton are both really good players. Um, but if I'm a coach, I think, um, you know, having a, having a team that's disciplined um, and obviously playing in the right areas of the field is what wins you international rugby at the moment. And ha having a player out there that I guess you can't trust in, in terms of, yeah, they're going to they're gonna bring physicality and intent, but at the same time, you go 20 minutes with playing with 14 players, um, you're giving away field, field you know, territory by giving away soft, silly penalties. That can be the difference, you know, in these international quarterfinals, semifinals. And um, as, as a coach, I'd be, I'd be picking your 15 most reliable and disciplined rugby players and smart rugby players. That's, that's what I'd be doing as a coach. We're seeing as well the effects of um, sides that and not necessarily immediately when they're shown yellow cards and they go down to 14 men but we're, we're, or, or 14 players but we're seeing that at back end of matches where the fatigue really does start to set in Lockie what, as a player a former player back rower you played on the edge a bit as well physicality was certainly a hallmark of your game how hard is it striking the balance between really physically exerting yourself, going out there to make sure that you're on and playing within the lock in harm's way and, 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 you know, getting on that wrong side of the line and the whistle that, that really just affects your team. Yeah, that, first of all, mate, I think you're the first person that's ever said physicality has been a part of my game. <laughs> Taken me, um, it's taken me 15 years of pro rugby, mate. You're the first person. Congrats. Um, I um, I never gave away. I don't think ever in my career yellow card for um, for for a high tackle or foul play. So, I um, I actually don't see uh, I guess the challenge of players playing in the in the rules of the game and um. You know, you don't want to take the physicality and that real uh, genuine intent out of these guys' games. But at the same time, it's the bigger picture. You know, it's, it's, about, it's about winning a game of rugby with physicality, but controlled physicality. And, and if you just put blokes out there that, that want to get in, you know, UFC fights on a game, then they're not built for the rugby field. The rugby field's for 15 players that bring physicality, but also bring brains and skill to a, to a, to a paddock. Um, and at the moment, you know, I, I think we can really stamp, stamp it out by better coaches. Um, you know, first of all, selecting those style players instead of keep giving these guys uh, almost making excuses for them. Oh, he didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. You know, we'll do better next time kind of, kind of feeling. And also once again, that, that soft tribunal process, you you stamp blokes out for three months for a careless high shot that put someone, you know, in serious harm, concussion, head knock. And I don't reckon they probably do it again. They, then they definitely think about it more than a two-week ban. But, but how hard is it, though? Because you played alongside guys like Darcy Swain, who's another who's at times found himself on the, side, the wrong side of the whistle. And then... And then you get the other moments, the rare moments from like when an Alan Alatoa gets a yellow card against Scotland for a clean out where he's obviously under pressure to try to get there as quick as possible, but he's still, you know, and I know that it probably didn't actually justify a card in that particular position, but he still puts himself in that position where a referee does go, you know what, there is actually contact to the head. 
we're going to have to we're going to have to do something about it under the modern laws. Yeah, mate. With rugby, there's always going to be um, head knocks of, of some type um, and, and big big collisions. Um, but I think there's such a difference between that accidental hitting a ruck as hard as you can to a tackle that's a, half a second to a second late, high shoulder to the head, no arms. Uh, just just almost that stupidity action um and there's there's a real there's a real difference between the the two decisions you know as a player if if you if you go into a collision trying to obviously do your job then as a player and, and referees alike think okay that's an accident but at the moment i don't think we're hard enough on the outcomes that don't look like an accident to me they're just a bloke looking for a cheap shot in a game does that then do you think that a referee is taking the accident into account though because at the end of the day a, a head a head high collision even if it is accidental can result in that card and I guess it is trying to find that that fine line between what deserves a card what deserves a send-off and what doesn't especially those accidental hits um, well, I guess we we now look to Super Rugby Pacific and the and the Waratahs who have now got taken their their season off life support. It's not a full recovery yet. They still got a whole second half of the season to go. And we have touched on Lockie Swinton, and there is potential that he is standing down for the next few weeks. If you're DC, I have no doubt you're not very happy with the, the likes of, of losing a player like that, especially with a game against the Blues in Auckland coming up this weekend. Christy, what did you see on the weekend from the Waratahs? What did they get right? And, and is this the sign that, uh, you know, their season is back on track? Are they going to be in that top eight? Do they have the potential to get, get all the way to the finals? Yeah, I think you're probably right. It was it would have been on life support had they had they lost, and they're probably fortunate that that was missed by not only the TMO but the the stand commentators themselves uh, regarding Swinton's hit because that could have changed the entire complexity of the match at uh, that stage, near or twenty seconds in. But look, I think we just see, saw a bit of that cream rising to the top. You know, the Waratahs aren't necessarily top four a top four side this year, but they're certainly good enough to get inside that top six. And they probably, I think, will, um, if you look at the, the second half of their draw, it, it looks pretty generous um, and a number of games at home, which will help as well. But uh, I thought it was, we saw guys like Michael Hooper start to find their feet a bit more, a bit better timing, a couple of crucial turnovers, particularly in the second half when the force started to find a bit of momentum that piece still wasn't brilliant, but guys like Hannigan hitting rocks, their timing of their breakdown, their attacking breakdown was better. Jed Holloway getting some better um, some lines there, trucking the ball up. I thought that was probably the foundation part that they got right. And then, you know, Jake Gordon had a good game uh, and clearly just the centres to the back, to the outside backs so, uh, are really where that Tars is polish. Is and it's starting to get there. Like Izzy Parisi was so slow for that first month out of the blocks. It, you know, he's starting to show that physicality that demanded. Dave Rennie ended up picking him, and and we saw a bit of that um, 
I look at the foresight. Oh, look, I'm not surprised. No, I'm not surprised that the Waratahs got the bonus point there because there is a gulf of cast. The force are having to pluck players from here, there, and everywhere at the moment, all sort of corners of the world. Um, I, I hope that they can get their season back on track against the Highlanders this weekend, who are, you know, Aaron Smith's going to be missing that one after the death, I think, of his father. Um, but it's a tricky one. They've had a really tricky four weeks. Yes, they've had a bye, but they just don't really, I don't think, have it quite in the second row at the moment. And just the lack of continuity is hurting them. The, the change is at 10. And it's not just every match and week to week. It's throughout games. We're seeing guys go off and um, Hamish Stewart coming in at 10. And that's all well and good, but there's just too many moving parts for this four side to be successful at the moment. Mm, definitely. They've been absolutely smashed by injuries and that three-week trip through New Zealand is you know no one really wants to be going through that partway through the season when you're struggling to get wins on the board. Lockie what are your thoughts on on the Tars game on the weekend and and Michael Hooper as Christy mentioned he he found his feet a little bit more he he really made an impression on that match. Yeah he did first of all um, good to see that the Tars um and their winless streak, they're, they're too good a team. There's too much quality within that that group to, to not be performing. Um, you know, I think this, I think the locks, I think Ned and, and Jed, as I said before, are playing some of their better footy over the last few years. Um, I, I think you need a lot more from their front row and back row, to be honest, in, especially in terms of their carry or tip game. I think without Angus Bell there, you don't really get that impact from their front row. Um, and I don't think you're getting enough from their back row, to be honest, either. To me, with DC's attacking game, you, you've either got to be a really strong carrier to get over the advantage line, or you've got to add some tip skill level to your game too. I don't think they're getting that outside of their their lock department at the moment in that forward pack. Um, I think Jake Gordon, he when he pulls on a, a blue jersey and puts that captaincy role to his name, he just becomes a different player. He always performs. He leads with his competitive nature. Parise, it was really good to see him, you know, find some form. I think everything that was pretty much good in their attack on the weekend, he was in, you know, in some some way involved in it. Um, and Donaldson, as I said before, I think tens, it takes a lot of time to, to create that, you know, all-round game. It takes experience. You look at a lot of the best tens around the world at the moment and they're, you know, over their 30. So I think we're a little bit hard on on young playmakers in today's game, but I, I do see him being a, a long-term future for the Tars. Um, he looks like quite a smart, uh, competent player, um, and I think he's getting better, more importantly, you know, each game he plays. So, you know, that there, there was some there was some good things to see there, and there's only one win between 6th and 10th place. So, in terms of um, the finish for the Tars, it's all in their in their court if they if they put some some good wins together, and then anything can happen in the finals, especially the way DC can get them playing. Lockie, did you see the little bit of um, it was a half half time and the Waratahs coming from the field and hoops and Jake Gordon had a rather heated discussion as they walked off the field. I, I don't know if you saw it, but. What do you think of it when a couple of guys are clearly something's gone amiss on the field or right on the field and they're not quite happy and maybe it was a, a move that didn't go to script or maybe someone overcalled it 
Um, do you, you don't mind a little bit of that though, do you? Because it kind of does show that players are learning on the run and they're problem solving and they're talking about it. I love it. I absolutely love it. I didn't see it, Christy, but um, I think I used to I used to get in verbals with Nick White nearly every training session, and it it shows you care. First of all, like as a coach, it shows the players care. And you also don't need the coach to come in and solve a problem because the players are solving the problem as they go. And at the at the you know they waited till half time to obviously solve it. They probably you know ran out um, ran out together to start the second half. And those two were were probably the most influential with Parisi in that in that win. So um, you know with Hoops's experience um, and obviously obviously Gordon there captaining. I'm sure those two are closer than any other players in that team. And um, it, it's good to see, I guess, leaders holding each other accountable and, and you know, showing that competitive edge to the, to the rest of the squad that look up to them. Hmm. Well, Chrissy, uh, with Swinton potentially out this weekend, Langy Gleeson still struggling with that calf injury, may not be back either. Who are you calling up into that back row and, and do they have what it takes to really uh, to fill in those positions? Oh, good luck against the Blues. They were pretty awesome in that entire game against the Rebels, really, a couple of weeks ago, weren't they? And um, Look, they'll, they'll, I, I presume they'll probably move Talani C to the second row to cover Ned Hannigan and then we all assume that Lockie will probably get a few weeks at least and I'll I would think that Will Harris comes into the back row then. Um, and you, you probably also see uh, Tolu Lars who come onto the bench um, with Dave Parecki missing because of concussion as well. So it's a big opportunity for someone like a Tolu Lars because he's kind of, you know, he's just this sleeping giant at the moment who's just such a quality player that when he gets it right, he can be really, really effective. At the moment, they've got three pretty good hookers um, I still think the hooker position is wide open at the moment. Not enough guys hitting the mark. Um, Parecki is probably the most consistent there, but does he bring the same things that others do at scrum time? Debatable, but if you've got a big Allen L of Toa or a Tupo and a Slipper and a Bell, maybe you don't necessarily need that extra size hooker. But look, the, the Waratahs are going to, struggle I think this week against the Blues and, and they're not going to ring, risk Lange Gleeson um, bringing him back potentially a week earlier um, so yeah I, I would think they'll just kind of probably try to keep the powder dry get out as safe as they can and then really prioritise the, the six weeks to come after this because good luck going over to Eden Park mm, Definitely and the, after the Blues they have uh, six games and four of those are at home so I'm sure they'll be happy they'll be determined to get another win at home Saturday night was their first win at their new stadium and and uh, two games on the road which are the Crusaders and then the Reds up in Townsville so they'll they'll be eyeing those uh, final six matches and um, they'll they'll definitely be uh, the ones that'll be uh, determined to take home a W and or a bonus point. The other match of the round on the weekend was the Chiefs and Hurricanes in Wellington. Scoreline blew out in the end. The Chiefs were just too good in that second half. And Brad Weber did say after the game that they didn't come out of the blocks as well as they would have hoped after that bye week. And But 
they just found a, another level in that second half and and shut down the Hurricanes who didn't score a point in the second half. They the Chiefs went into the halftime break nine points down. Uh, I guess the the one player that everyone looked to then was Damian McKenzie, who has had a spectacular season to date. Uh, coming back from Japan, he said after the game he's feeling refreshed and ready to go. And he has been knocking down the door for an All Blacks call-up. Lockie, what were your thoughts on the game? The Hurricanes just had nothing to say in that second half. And and uh, they kind of just, the Chiefs just ran right in the end. Yeah, I think the Chiefs have been the most impressive team um, so far this year. I think a lot of the the guys that you don't know as much of, the, the non-All Black players are, are really stepping up to the market and leading their team. Um, they're playing a really attractive style of rugby too. Um, and then you've got someone like Damien McKenzie that's really leading the show there for him. I love watching Damien McKenzie play. Um, you know, I think I'm the biggest fan of, of sending players off on a sabbatical um, season. I think they come back a more relaxed all-round player. I think it's a win-win for, for the ABs, culture, the Chiefs and the player themselves individually. So, um, you know, the amount of players that, that go six months overseas and come back a better player um, is, is endless. I, I think the, the hard thing is to know where to put him in, in that all-black team. To me, um, I would still bring him off the bench and play him in the last 25, 30 games. Um, I think Richie Mwanga, I love him at 10 and I, I like Bowden at 15 and, and you bring you bring Damien, Damien on. Um, He's a class act, especially if you've got someone like Weber on the bench too. You bring them on together with that combination. So, yeah, he uh, you really couldn't fold his season so far. You, you, when he's playing well, the Chiefs are really hard to beat, and I think um, they've got a they've got a big shot in the second half of of the season leading into finals. Could could you honestly see though, uh, carrying a McKenzie in a in a twenty three if you've got a Bodie Barrett and a Richie Moinger and a ten or fifteen already? Mate, I would, I would, I, I love having as many ball players as you can in a in a backline. Um, so to me, the, the way they're trying to play in terms of expansive, um, they're all good kickers of the ball in terms of that kicking battle in international rugby. Um, I, I wouldn't hesitate in terms of having all three within a within a twenty three, mate. Definitely. It's almost a bit of like a state of origin there when you've got that, you know, that axis and then the Harry Grant that sometimes comes off the bench and just allows that extra playmaker, that rover that comes on for 20 minutes. It'd be fascinating to see if a side would be brave enough to do it. But that type five as well from the Chiefs, like we talk about the flashy backs that they've got, the cheese, and then, then you've got like guys like Sam Kane and Peter Gasolatour and your Lily. Um, you know, the Jacobsons of the world, there's just so much class throughout that team. Look, they're probably, you've got to say, the favourites at the moment for the for the Super Rugby competition. And oh, I can't imagine too many people would have put the Chiefs right up the top there to begin with because they've just been, you know, the last couple of years, they haven't quite been the Blues of the Crusaders, but they've been either smacked with injuries or secondly had those guys go offshore and, and have those sabbaticals. So... Very interesting to see how it's placed. What about the Brumbies guys? Fruit, maybe starting with you, they're gonna like they've they got across the line against 
Fiji, it was a great game. It was one of those matches that it probably looked like there could be a boil over with 10, 15 minutes to go. And another team, O interjection that disallowed a try, but and, and probably stopped the momentum that Fiji had as well. But is, is that a little bit, well, why do the Brumbies struggle a bit against like a side like Fiji Lockie? Like you've got against Moana Pacifica, they had some success for the first 50 minutes as well. Is it the unstructured nature that the Brumbies are kind of struggling with, do you think? Mate, to be honest, I think the, um, the it's it's very Brumbies-like at the moment over the last few years is is when you when when they burst a team that they're supposed to be, they play at five out of ten until probably the last 15 minutes or maybe the first 15 minutes to start the game or the last 15 minutes they play you know, they hit their straps and they do what they need to do. But that middle 40-minute period, they can be really, really poor. Um, and, and I think that's something they're probably trying to fix um, because to win the championship, you've got to play 80 minutes of good footy. Um, do, do, do I think they can win the championship? 100%. Because when they verse the best four to six teams, it's actually when they play their best rugby. Um, mm. I'm really excited to next week when they verse the Hurricanes over in New Zealand because it's a it's the first time they've gone over to New Zealand this year and you know obviously going full strength they they rested a lot of guys with the with the protocols versus Crusaders but I'm hoping they go full strength go over to Wellington and, and that's the real that's a real test to see where they're genuinely at um, because if they go over there and beat the Hurricanes over there to me. I would say they go to favourites to win the comp this year because later in um, in May and June, if they get home finals, they're extremely hard to beat here in Canberra. If they go over and they don't perform versus the Hurricanes, then I'm not sure they are genuine uh, genuine title contenders. When you, Then later on in the year, you might have to go over and beat New Zealand teams in New Zealand. So I'm really, really excited to see where they're at next week versus the Hurricanes in Wellington because... I think it could go either way, and if they do a good job over there, I would, um, I would, I would really put them put them as favourites to to win the to win the comp if they're getting home finals in in June. Mm. Are we thinking it's a, a two horse race now? The Chiefs have clearly placed themselves above and beyond well their New Zealand counterparts and the and Australian teams. Uh, the Brumbies, the best of the Australian picks. You did mention that they're going over to Wellington next week and that'll be a crucial game for them they don't the Chiefs and the Brumbies don't play each other until the uh, second last round so I guess we don't get to see that match up for quite some time but apart from those two are we seeing any other teams that can really challenge for the title are the the Crusaders still in there despite some stumbles the the Blues are we are we pulling for them can they come through and and take a title yeah Anyone that rules out the Crusaders, Brett, you've got rocks in your head, first of all. Um, I think they've got they've got players in that squad that know how to win a final better than anyone in Super Rugby Pacific. And and I'm sure they'll leave their timing right to when when's needed. I think the Blues are playing outstanding rugby at times. Um, I wouldn't want to verse them in a final. Um, you've obviously got the Hurricanes that are a little bit more um, hot and cold, but when they're hot, they're they're very good. To me, still, you know, if, if Waratahs get uh, all their players on the field and start humming in a, in attack, I wouldn't want to verse Sammy in a final either. Um, but yeah, at, at the moment, 
Chiefs, Brumbies, um, Crusaders and Blues. Um, yeah, good luck. Good luck tipping that one. Yeah, I think it's. I think you're probably being generous to the Waratahs at the moment, but you're right that they, they could they could snag a quarterfinal victory. I don't know if they've got the consistency or the the, the strength and the depths in the forward to get across the ditch and win. But the, an interesting point you made as well about how important it would be for the Brumbies to go across the ditch and have a win. I, I completely agree. They need to they need to make sure that against the Hurricanes that they roll out their their number one side and. And I think it was in 2014, it might have been 15, but I think it was in the lead up to their Super Rugby victory for the Waratahs. They had a really big win across the ditch against the Hurricanes. Just gave them that belief. And you can't understate that importance. So I think it's just the knowing that you've done it. You've been there, you've won. Um, and it's not under the roof against the Highlanders in Dunedin. It's against one of those top three, four sides, sides where you've got a, Dane Coles or Sam Whitelock, those guys that just know how to win big matches. So big, big couple of weeks coming up for the Brumbies because I, I think they need a Jagger top two spot. I don't think finishing third or fourth and having to play on the road is going to be good enough this year. That top two is going to be ultra competitive and, and having a home semi-final. You can win across the ditch once. I don't think you can win across the ditch twice. Definitely. Well, uh, thanks for the chat this weekend. And it's a, another massive round of Super Rugby Pacific as we head into the second half of the season. It's a, another truncated round with only four games and four teams on uh, several teams having their bye. Um, so keep your eyes peeled uh, for all the latest news. And uh, I guess, of course, that Lockie Swinton news will all be keeping an eye, our eyes peeled on that. But Chrissy, Lockie, thank you for joining us again this week. And uh, for everyone else, uh, make sure to uh, subscribe and uh, come to espn.com.au slash rugby for all the latest rugby news. Great to join you. Good to see your ugly mug, Lockie, as well. Thanks for joining. No, thanks, guys. And enjoy the footy this weekend. <laughs>